If you guys can turn to Psalm 119 and follow along with me as we read in Psalm 119, we're going to go through verses 161 through 168. I'll give you a moment to open up the Word. Psalm 119, 161. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies. For all my ways are before you. Let me open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, you have given us another day. <clears throat> Lord, uh, we rejoice and we're glad in it uh, as we look forward to uh, opening up your word and see what uh, the truth is as you continue to reveal it to us uh, each and every day. I'm grateful for uh, the pillar of truth uh, and for your church as we study that and we look into that this morning. May we all encourage one another and grow more in the deep and deep in the likeness of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, we're going to take a look at uh, beginning on page 51 on your book, if you happen to have that. That is the Men of Grace and Granite, Series 3, Philosophy of Ministry, <clears throat> and Study 2, Church for His Glory. So we want to know how truth it should govern the way a church does ministry. And of course, only then can a church be convinced that it's truly doing ministry for God's purposes and glorify Him and not its own. You see the Bible passages for study there, but beginning in 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Each Christian has a special, received a special gift for ministry to the body. So even though we might have the same gifts, they're going to be unique to us. Let me explain. So if you think about it, each of us have fingers, toes, right? But we also know that our fingerprint is unique and identifier to, to us. So I may be able to teach as I am this morning, but it's going to be uniquely different as compared to Chance, Art, Tom, Jason, Aaron, Juan, or anyone else that might be teaching. It's going to be unique. That's how the Lord has designed us. So in the first uh, point there, number one, truth must govern everything. In 1 Timothy 3.15, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar of and buttress of the truth. So it's a practical knowledge of how one ought to conduct himself, knowing that it is God's church and His family. It's not a building that's re that He's referring to, your church family. Believers are part of God's family or household, and we have a responsibility to conduct ourselves accordingly. Here's the church of the living God which belongs to Him. He is the one who purchased it with His own blood, according to Acts 20, verse 28. 
So in reference to the Scripture, and with the church at Ephesus, and being light in a dark world, we know at that time there was pagan worship, and a pillar and a buttress refers to the foundation on which a structure rests. Webster's defines it as a firm, upright support for a superstructure. Paul's metaphor is the church is the foundation and the pillar that holds up the truth. So what is the truth? While we know that it is the truth of the gospel, every church has the responsibility to uphold the truth of God's Word. It says what it says. We don't invent it. We don't reinvent it. And we don't alter it. We are to safeguard it and support it. The church has the duty to guard this most precious and prized possession. So there will be a warning. Churches that tamper with it, misrepresent it, depreciate it, put something higher than it, or abandon core biblical truth, they will experience judgment. So a pillar doesn't change because the truth doesn't change. Governing principles don't change either. So we see in 1b, truth is what we uphold. It is the thing, the product. It is upheld and propagated by the church. And 1c, <clears throat> the preferences of the culture and the church are irrelevant. A pillar doesn't change just because society dictates that it ought to change. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Ephesians 4.12, To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of the Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and through, and including verse 14 of Ephesians 4, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and on the craftiness in deceitful schemes. So how many times perhaps that you've heard a sermon here at Believer's Fellowship and you thought to yourself or made a comment to someone saying, man, that was convicting. Well, why is that? Because the Holy Spirit convicts our heart and we need to hear what we need to hear, which is the truth. Our hope is that someone's never walking away thinking, oh boy, I feel great and I feel good about myself. I'm doing great. The Word says what it says and we need to heed and obey it. It's foundational to everything we do. Throughout the centuries, the world <clears throat> is what it is. We take a look at this even right now. Those things really do not change. Lawlessness, rebelliousness, unholy, profane, immoral, liars, perjurers. That's not what I have to say. We, we can all observe that, but when we go back into Scripture, that's what it says in 1 Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10. And those things are contrary to sound teaching. Many people are or will become intolerant of the unadulterated word, of sound doctrine. That sound doctrine is spiritually healthy and nourishing. We all need to hear the truth regardless of how we feel about it, what we think, or even when we want 
when it comes to or concerns the truth. In a similar way, maybe even some of us as we're adults, but when you're a kid, you're like, man, I could be eating candy all day long. Donuts, ice cream, that's what I want, right? Because it tastes good, feels good. Well, is that really physically healthy? No, absolutely not. You know, it's good every once in a while, but if that is that main thing, no, it's not. And so when we have our overseers, i.e. with our parents, to say, no, we need to eat a sound, healthy meal. We know that with the five food groups, everything foundational, that's core to our growth. In a similar way, is with God's Word, is that pillar, and with that pillar of truth, that is what we need. We may not, oh, do I have to really go through? Yeah, we do need to. And those are those things that we're entrusted to you know, as leaders, elders, teachers, making sure that we are those under-shepherds to make sure that that is where that guidance uh, comes in. So many months ago, while Chance was still in Ephesians preaching on unity in the church, I overheard a comment from someone who stated, oh man, that sermon was harsh. I also knew that this person was being factious. And based on those words, the Holy Spirit was convicting their heart. Did they really want to hear that message on preaching about unity on, on uh, the church and, and the design by that? Not really. They wanted to hold on to their sin and do contrary to what the Word says, what the truth says, and what was preached. And number two, you can take a look on your book, the truth demands that Christ functions as the head of the church. That is the one who we worship. Remember, we are bought and paid for with the shedding of His blood. Have you ever been in a church, or even observed in a church, where the pastor is being idolized? Many years ago, we were at a church where there was a painting of the head pastor and his wife. This painting must have been 10 feet wide by 15 feet tall, and it was in the main lobby of the church. When speaking with people that were regular attendees, they absolutely adored the pastor, and his wife. Let me be clear. There's nothing wrong with being grateful for a pastor and their ministry. It takes sacrifice, dedication, and hard work. However, should they be placed and idolized and worshipped above Christ? Absolutely not. Even for this pastor, Christ and His Word were not being revered. Christ was not being exalted. In 2a, the script for ministry is found in His Word. We do things not to please man, but to please God. And besides, we're never going to please 100% of the people 100% of the time. You'd be surprised at how many people have different preferences just over the music we sing at Believer's Fellowship. Tom, you can attest to that because you hear that much more as you oversee the music ministry. You know, do we have preferences? What sword or what hill are we going to die on? But having those preferences, we're not here to please men. What we want to do is to honor God in everything that we do. We want to adhere to His Word, the truth, and align everything with ministry according to that. Can we have preferences? Sure, but it comes back to what does Scripture have to say? And so when we hear you know, comments on, on things of, well, hey, you can do this, or you shouldn't be doing that, I'm like, 
okay, we want to admonish, we want to correct, and we want to speak the truth in love, but we know what God's Word says. That is what we're entrusted to, and that's with that stewardship. All of us really can and will be, should be um, committed to that. In B and C, in, in number two, he accomplishes whatever results he pleases, and the church trusts him with the results. All right, so another question. How many of you have been here longer than three years at Believer's Fellowship? All right, good, good number. All right, so in the past three years, the church has grown 45%. Do you think that that's because we have a clever design of our programs, giving top 10 items to take away in, in sermons or adult Bible study for you to be successful in life? No, but we want to bring glory and honor to Him and the truth. So there's a dichotomy of thought on numbers and attendance. First, we're not interested in filling seats. So you're like, wait, who? Wait a second. That's contrary to really what the mission can be. Let me explain. The second part is that we are interested in seats being filled, but to hear the truth and to make every man complete in Christ. That's the goal. It's not the numbers. Nothing would be better on a Wednesday morning to see this whole fellowship hall filled to the gills with men. But we continue to pray that the Lord will accomplish His results in the people that show up. Our job is to be faithful and obedient in doing what He has called us to do, just like you, just like all of us. That's the pillar and the blueprint. So at the end of every January, we have an elder retreat. We do some planning. We review each ministry, <clears throat> what could be working, what needs to be tweaked, what's not working. Is everything really for that mission to make every man complete in Christ? What's coming up? What are some of those trends? What are some of those things? What are some of those needs? And it's not just at the end of January where we do that. And I'm like, okay, yep, hey, sorry, we're not going to listen to anything else until next January. Well, to the contrary, and let me give you a few examples. There's many new singles. There's many young marrieds. And then, of course, needs with widows. There's been two, three more widows just in the last, since January. As we're called to make every man complete in Christ, we're called to take care of the widows. And we take a look at some of these needs to make sure that everyone grows according in the likeness of Christ. So these ministries have expanded upon or have started. And those are just really since January. Just a few weeks ago, the single women's ministry just started. Okay, so what happens if truth doesn't govern the church? In 3a, man becomes the head of the church and makes up his own script for ministry, eventually becoming a pragmatist. Okay, well, that's a fancy word, so let's look it up. Webster says a, that's defined as a person who is guided more by practical considerations than by ideals. Man becomes the center of the church. People's felt needs govern the church or the direction of the church. Pleasing people becomes the primary agenda, and numerical goals are put in place. So this could look perhaps like a club or a group. That might have some common thread to it. So when these clubs happen, then the primary goal or objective is to hang out with people that are like-minded with the same thing. All right, well, how about a knitting club? Why don't we start that here at Believer's Fellowship? 
Or hey, I'm into woodworking. Any of you guys like to do any woodworking? Hey, let's join a, like, we'll have a club or a group here. Well, there's nothing wrong with people having similar interests, but the main thing has to be the main thing, which is the truth. All of our activities are designed around that. For example, with fellowship groups, there's a reason why we have a format that each leader, fellowship group leader, follows. This could quickly erode into just everyone hanging out on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, whenever. <clears throat> biblical thoughts not shared, nor struggles with sin, no biblical encouragement, exhortation, or admonishment. We don't have numerical goals here at Believer's Fellowship, but yes, we do want to know how many people are showing up because there's nothing put in place like a corporate business objective. All right, so anyone in business, I have to do business objectives. Okay, here's what you want to be able to do. It has to be clearly defined. And then from there, say strategy, goals, how are we going to be able to accomplish those things? Salespeople, you guys got to do that same thing. All right, so here's one. We will have the maximum capacity with every seat filled by the end of 2024. And here's the strategic plan and how we're going to accomplish that. Would we love that many seats filled here at Believer's Fellowship? Sure, they, they already are, but that's in God's timing. This isn't a corporate business objective. So C, D, and E, other fruit when truth doesn't govern the church is the results that are manufactured. Bylaws dictate ministry and reaching someone is redefined. The Lord is going to sanctify and draw a person to Him in His perfect timing, and we don't manufacture those results. So going back to, we're not numbers driven. I'm like, okay, well, how are we going to be able to do that? Is it going to be the scheming of man, uh, our tickling of ears? No. So when you have a club, anyone can rationalize, well, we're just trying to reach this group of people. Well, then it just becomes a social group or a club. That's not the objective. So it's nice to have that fellowship outside of, say, fellowship group, you say, hey, we're going to have a dinner. But really, those dinners, yeah, you can chit-chat and you can catch up on life. But also, say, hey, what are you... What did, when Chance preached this last week, what are, what are two takeaways that you, what you had, right? We need to be pushing. We sh should be encouraging one another. Again, back to that whole truth. So there, will there ever be true discipleship happening based on those things? Surely not, because it's all about numbers and centered around man and not Christ. If we focus on that socialization, numbers, and trying to appease and please the people. So F, local leadership is redefined, and since it is man-centered, it can certainly be how the world defines it. Okay, so what's successful leadership? How would you look at that? How would you define it? How would the world define that and look at that compared to what it looks like in church? Is it someone that is a driver? With a type A personality, really, hey, you know, going to get things done, take charge, lots of energy. Or is it perhaps someone that it could be a visionary, like a CEO of a corporation? On the flip side, what should leaders look like within the church? And we know what we have that, especially in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, exemplary Christ-like character. A desire and ability to equip the people for the work of the ministry, according to Ephesians 4, while providing a context and an environment to do so. As Jesus was a carpenter, I'm sure that he would take a rough log 
and in a workshop, wherever that might be, what would you have to do? You'd have to cut it, form it, sometimes perhaps even bend some of that wood into various pieces to construct a particular object. Could be a stool, could be a bench. The purpose and the truth is to mold us, to form us, and to sanctify us in the likeness of Christ. The church is around <clears throat> man's idea, then it becomes optional and is no longer essential. Because then, really, the tail is wagging the dog. Meaning the people are dictating, hey, this is what we want, this is what we need to do, and those preferences are given in to that rather than holding on to uh, the foundation and that pillar of the truth. When people are not wanting to be eagerly discipled or to be in the Word, we know there are going to be every excuse in the book, such as, oh, hey, I'm going to go do church at home because I can listen to it online. I've recently heard that. And where the admonishment, the exhortation, like, hey, this is what we need to do. Here, here's what we're called to do, and here's why. And there is no accountability. They don't want accountability. They're not growing, and that person is down the path of deep sin. The Word, along with its empty philosophies and deceits, then infiltrate, holding captive the thoughts and intentions of man, and eventually take over the pews. So you take a look at <clears throat> what is uh, italicized there. I'm going to read that. In light of 1 Peter 2.2, it's very telling to examine what the church today longs for. Go to the average, well-meaning, duped believer in a superficial ministry. They are longing for cultural acceptance, a slice of the American dream, economic security, emotional wholeness, someone to give them their best life here and now, to give them relief from their troubling circumstances, etc. It's anything but the Word and the Christ of the Word that they're longing for. Yet the Scripture calls us to long for the nutrients of the Word. So when the church decides it's going to give people that they're longing for, which is anything but Christ, the problem clearly develops. It's at odds with the head of the church, Christ. This is how the church fills up with unbelievers and at best moralizes the people who are there. So how truth governs the mutual assembly of believers. A desire and ability to equip the work, the people of the work. For the ministry according to Ephesians 4. So employing them is not optional. Sorry, I lost my place here. Uh, yeah, uniqueness among members does not mean isolation. So remember that I described we all have fingers, but we have a unique fingerprint. According to Romans 12.5, we are individually members one of another. So in that 4.1, we, we are never disconnected from one another even though we bring uniqueness. 
And in that four subpoint A2, when we make a decision on how you're going to live, it affects every person in the body of Christ. Take the time after this here to really meditate on that. Think about that. Absorb it. Think of what, what impact do we have in how we live that will affect every person in here. So for example, if a spouse wants to divorce their other spouse, is it just going to be those two that are impacted? No, absolutely not. Children, siblings, parents, grandparents, friends, etc., that's just the start of it. What happens if that happens within church? There are other relationships that are damaged because of that. That, again, that's just a very light, say light, but a high-level example. And three, make your choices according to the truth. We have free will. As elders, we can guide and direct. You know, people will say, hey, Bruce, I'm, trying, I'm looking at you know, a different job and a different role. All right, sure, I'd be happy to counsel you, but I'm going to say, hey, you need to take this job unless it is, yeah, hey, I'm going to work for an abortion clinic. Then that counsel would be no, because this is directly opposing what God's Word says. Right? That is where then we can do that counsel on that advice of, no, that is not what you ought to be doing, but it's that guiding, counseling, and directing according to what God's Word is. The truth should be directing and guiding us in every choice that we make. And all Scripture equips us for that. So your money, work, friends, ethics, family life, it all affects others in the body. I had a job interview yesterday, and as the hiring manager was going through my resume and asking me, like, so you're still with this company? I said, no, I resigned in in mid-April. And he really wanted to double-click and dig down into that as to why I had resigned and gave him a number of reasons is that I'm not going to compromise my integrity and my character and knowing who I am and what I stand for when my upper leadership is asking me to compromise on those. I said, I'm not going to throw people under the bus, but I gave just some very high-level examples. Well, what would happen that if Ultimately, that if um, my boss would ask me to lie and compliantly with the FDA, I'm going to be held liable. Well, that could be affecting you. You're like, well, wait a second, Bruce, you know, I heard these things and how you got fired. Well, because you compromised on this, your boss asked you to do this, but the larger governing body is telling you not to do this. This is law. I'd say, well, yeah, but I really want to please man. No, like, you shall not lie, right? I'm not going to lie, and then, well, because I need to save my job. I'm still looking for a job. I haven't been employed since mid-April. No, the Lord richly takes care of us in all of our needs. I'm not concerned about when He provides a job for me. I'm faithful in doing what I need to do to be looking for that. But having that impact all the way down, would that ultimately affect the church if I would compromise on something like that? That's just that example. Every one of us can be faced on those things on a day-to-day basis. 
Will you obey God's truth or will you have the fear of man? Fear of God, fear of man. Obey and heed the truth. Make your choices according to that truth. Being in a spiritual family is a gift from the Lord as it provides accountability and a context for growth in building up. When you think of your physical family, aren't those really of the same things? Accountability, context for growth, describe that just with you know, parents giving the proper food, nutrition, uh, when you're younger and you're, you're growing in there. Spiritual gifts within the assembly. Spiritual gifts, and this is the quote in C there, you'll see in the italicized part there. Spiritual gifts are a God-given capacity through which the Holy Spirit supernaturally ministers to the body of Christ. If a person's unique capacity to serve the body and is the Holy Spirit's sovereign channel to minister to the lives of His elect. Employing them is not optional. You're like, well, when I get around to it, or when I feel like it, or no, this isn't my jam here, I, I don't want to serve. Well, Romans 12.6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So this Sunday, there's going to be new members announced, whether it's the meeting with an individual elder or one of the last steps in meeting in the elders as a whole. There's always a question that is being asked of the prospective member. Aaron, you remember that question? Right? We asked you right at the end, along with the other prospective members, if you're not already serving, where do you see yourself serving? Right? That question. Anyone that's been a new member lately? Patrick, you were there too. You heard that? Right? Those are those things to where we want to keep people accountable, but there's a purpose for that. Where everyone is actively involved in serving, we need to do that. And so with Romans 12.6, that's not a suggestion, really a command. We need to be using them for God's glory and His purpose. Remember also, it's a stewardship issue. Everything we have been given, we are entrusted with. Our time, our resources, our gifts. Stewardship is defined as the job of supervising or taking care of something, such as an organization or a property. Do you view your time, your money, your resource that's entrusted to you? Or do you view it like, oh, well, it's my time and, well, it's my money? Do you view it as it's God's, it's the Lord's, and you are a mere steward of those things? Those are questions that you should be asking yourself also. It's the Lord's, and we need to be good stewards of those, including those gifts and, and serving. So the Lord has given those to you, and all are of great value. The proper exercise ensures the health of the church. So by using those, that helps the health of the church. All right, well, what happens if something isn't used physically? Tom is in PT, physical therapist. He can personally attest to this. And the phrase that I hear from him and other physical therapists, motion is lotion. Has anyone ever heard that? I, I have, and then I can personally attest to that. Because remember, a year and a half ago, I was in a wheelchair for eight weeks. During those eight weeks, it's amazing on how fast things can atrophy. I got out of that wheelchair. I didn't start running marathons. My knees buckled. And like, oh man, this is just weird. I mean, my legs just atrophied so much. There really wasn't any muscle memory on how to do that. And so that next phase was just learning how to walk. To get that thing up, motion is lotion, right? I had to use and exercise those muscles. 
is quickly how, how fast you can lose that. Also, having studied exercise physiology and being a former athlete, it was shown that every day you take off from your training, you can take two days of training just to get back to where you were. Now, we need to make sure that we have rest because with the adequate rest, it can be equal or more important than making sure you have training. So by doing that, it's like, okay, well, if I'm training and cycling six days a week, make sure that I have that day off to rest and to recover. There's a lot of reasons and rationale for that. But if I would take a week off, I could tell, I could feel that. It would literally take me two weeks to get back to where that norm was if I would have taken that off. The point with that is don't sit on the sidelines. Look for active ways to serve in the church. If you're not already serving, look. There's always opportunities. There's always uh, slides during announcements. Hey, here's where you can serve. There's times where we may not even know where you can be serving. Talk to a deacon. Talk to one of us. Talk to anyone within children's ministry. Hey, parking lot ministry. I want to serve there. There's a need there. Hey, ushers. There's always a way, look and ask and get involved. All right, so people, number four, people need to do a heart check because it could be a use of spiritual gifts, abusive spiritual gifts, such as gravitation towards the showy gifts. All right, so if someone asks you to be an usher or to scrub toilets, what one would you choose? The one that's more visible so that people can see where and how that you serve? All right, if there's a greater need in cleaning toilets, but you still have that opportunity at usher, what one would you choose? Our hearts, our hearts should be inclined that no matter what job, big or small, seen or unseen, should be done all to the glory of God. We have to know and understand that serving is an act of worship to our Lord and Savior because it is His church. So if our heart motive is to be done <clears throat> with these showy things, the result is leading to a deformed body, arrogance, and condescension. So, you know, oh, well, that's beneath me. I'm not going to scrub toilets. Whatever it is, we do all to the glory of God. So we've got some questions. Chance, you can pull those up for a discussion in small group. Make sure you guys have the time to be able to go through those questions. And then at the end, make sure that you have that time for prayer as well. All right. Thank you.